do you know how many days there are till Christmas? I bet the Reverend Philip Brown can tell me as he looks it up on his phone. He reminds us every week at Christmas choir rehearsal, how many, Pastor? That would be 50 how many? 57 days until Christmas. 56 days then until our Christmas cantata and Christmas children's pageant on Christmas Eve here in this place. One of our favorite things to do during the Christmas season, aside from worshiping together here in our church with our church family, is to watch some of our favorite Christmas movies. Perhaps you like to do that too. Here's a list of our favorites. Maybe you've got a list of favorites too. These are not in any particular order until the last one. A Christmas Carol, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Miracle on 34th Street, A Charlie Brown Christmas, The Polar Express, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, my brother does a great Cousin Eddie impersonation. A Christmas Story, one of Isabella, our daughter's favorites, Elf, Home Alone, and last but not least, and my very favorite, anybody can guess it? Yes, choir, It's a Wonderful Life. Thank you. Frank Capra's 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George Bailey and Donna Reed as his wife, Mary. Every Christmas, I make it a point to sit down and watch It's a Wonderful Life. It tells the story of George Bailey who encounters a crisis on Christmas Eve when his elderly uncle misplaces $8,000 from the shareholders of the family business, the building and loan, leading George to believe that he is a failure, that he is worth more dead than alive. A guardian angel named Clarence is sent from the heavens to protect George and meets George in his lowest moment. Clarence gives George a glimpse of what the world would be like without him. George is on the verge of taking his life. And the angel Clarence was able to help him to see what a tremendous difference he would make in the world alive rather than dead. As the movie goes through, George is persuaded of his value to his community. He breaks out of his suicidal depression, returns home to his family, and realizes that the love and fellowship of others is what it truly makes a difference to make one's life wonderful. I always tear up there at the end when George's friends and neighbors and family come together there to replace the money. They brought money from everywhere. Children had their pennies. And there's, uh, they, they saved the building and loan. And George is holding his youngest daughter, Zuzu, and happens to see 
a copy of Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer there in the pile of cash and picks it up and opens it, and there's a note from Clarence the angel inside that says, Dear George, remember, no man is a failure who has friends. And then Zuzu says, Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Although the film is set in the Great Depression, it certainly captures the experience of many of us today. It's a timeless story. Often we are like George, and we feel like we're at the end of our rope. We feel like there's no hope. We are weighed down by worry. We relive our regrets. We harbor our hurts. We fear because of our past failures. And often we think we are a failure. We get stuck in the muck. We cannot receive consolation because of our desolation. We can get into a depression, and if untreated and not shared and no help, it can lead to a dark and despairing place. However, like George, we can open our eyes to see the value as people created in the image of a loving God. We can see what a great difference we can truly make in this world as his children. The message that we share as Christians is that whatever our circumstances, God will give us strength for today and bright hope choir for tomorrow. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Today's passage from Philippians is part of a hopeful message that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian believers. He, was, he himself was under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman guard. Scholars say it was probably a couple of years that he was under imprisonment. It was during this time that he was reflecting on his life and ministry. It was late in his life. He had received word that the church around Philippi was experiencing some very difficult times. And uh, there was false teaching trying to get into the church internal conflict in the church, and Paul wrote this letter to encourage them to remain faithful and to stand firm in the Lord. In this third chapter, he reflects on his own life and work. He's nearing the end of his life, and while he could easily just give up and say, well, I can't do this thing anymore. It's time for somebody else to take over. He desires, he decides to look up and to look ahead. And the key verse for us where he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, meaning the, the life in Christ that God has. There's more, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. He's looking up, and he's looking ahead. And with the help of God and others, we have hope. Y'all, we have hope beyond hope. The best days are up ahead. 
and I believe that with all my heart. The best days are up ahead. I've often said if we're flat on our back, the only way is what? Up. This is the fourth message in our mental health awareness series here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church during the month of October. And we are hoping that people will be able to know that it's okay to talk about mental health and mental illness. And it's just, it's just as important talking about that as it is our knee replacement and our battles with cancer and other things that we experience. We want people to know that we care here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church and that this church is a safe place where people have permission to come and say it's okay not to be okay. With God's help, as in our church's visioning work, we can be an oasis to our community, a safe place where people can come, where shame and stigma of mental illness are no more. We want people to know they're loved and valued as God's children and that nothing, I mean nothing, is worth taking one's life. We want people to have the hope to look up and ahead, to discover the wonderful plans that God has for each individual. You might say, well, Pastor Bob, where does this thought of up and ahead come from? I'm glad you asked. Up ahead is the name of a countdown app that you can download for your smartphone to save special dates that are up ahead. It's just one of many. There are a lot of countdown apps there. Some of you might choose to use a paper calendar. Same thing. But if you use your technology, up ahead is one of those apps. And it can tell you that Christmas Day is, on my phone I have it, 57 days up ahead. The Super Bowl, 105 days I hope my Eagles are in that this year, but we'll see. Easter, Pastor Philip, 155 days. And Heritage Day, our church's 60th birthday, 225 days, June the 9th, 2024. We're going to celebrate 60 years as a church on this campus, and it's going to be such a wonderful service. In fact, I'll give you a heads up. Our challenge is to pay off our church mortgage, and you're going to hear more about that. But all of us are going to uh, be able to come together to rally our church into the next generation. Whether you keep track of upcoming dates on a paper calendar or on a smartphone, looking up and ahead helps keep us focused on the future. When anticipating being somewhere on a special day like an anniversary or birthday, graduation, or wedding, when we have that marked, then we are less likely to dwell on the negative. When the days get rough, we are reminded by our countdown that we have something to look forward to. More likely to remain positive and less likely to sink into a depression. I want to encourage you to mark some significant dates in your life. Maybe the life of our church, your family, your friendships, your work, and look at them with anticipation. All of us, as we will begin focusing in Advent, all of us are looking forward 
to that day when Christ shall come. And in the meantime, we do his work looking up and ahead. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is reflecting on his life, and he does an accounting. In verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained all of this or have arrived at my goal. You read back in chapter 3, he's reflecting on his life and ministry, and then he's talking about the heavenly prize in Christ Jesus. And, and the word, not that I have already obtained, the, the, the English translation, rather, comes from a Greek word, logizomai. It's literally a business term where Paul has done an accounting of his life. It's the same word that you would find if you were studying first century business practices, where it means to mathematically count, calculate, or tabulate. We would say uh, that they would use it to put together a balance sheet or a profit and loss statement that a bookkeeper would prepare at the end of the year. That's logizomai. And Paul is looking on his life, and he's taking an accounting, and then he's thinking, God ain't done with me yet. I love that. He's reflecting on his past successes and failures, on his sins, and he concluded while he had accomplished a great deal in his life and ministry that he had not done everything that God called him to do. He still had work to do. God wasn't finished with him yet. Despite his imprisonment, where it would have been really easy for him just to get up and say, Lord, take me. Uh, Or think like Elijah did in our passage last Sunday we studied, who got into such a despair that he ran away and hid in a cave. Despite all of this, Paul continued to do his work, continued to write to churches, and knew that God still had plans for his life. He knew that if he only dwelt on his past, that it could cause him to lose focus on what God planned for his future. We can't go forward while constantly looking backward. That's true to us as individuals as well as for the church. Now, it's important to learn from our past, but not to dwell there. And then in verse 13, Paul is straining farward. And the literal Greek word there refers to a runner who strains forward to get through the tape at the end of the race before everyone else. Sometimes you'll watch the Olympics and you'll see a runner win the race because they extended their body, arched their body out forward to get through first. That's what Paul's talking about. Verse 14, towards the goal, again, thinking of the prize that is there, the finish line. Paul's goal was not a literal physical race, but it was the race of life. He desired to be faithful to his God for the rest of his life, as long as God had him on this earth. And the prize refers to a a literal trophy or wreath that a runner or a chariot racer would receive at the end of the race when they had won. Paul had it in mind to put all the hindrances and obstacles behind him and strain forward as he ran the remaining race of his life. We could take this to mean that Paul wanted to finish strong. 
and finished well. And that when the Lord called him home to heaven, that he would hear those words, we want to hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant. So how can we make some sense of this for ourselves? Some takeaways for us. If you want to jot down in your notes, you can. I just got plenty of uh, space for you there. But some takeaways for the person, for each one of us, the person. First, remember that God loves you. That God loves you so much that God came to earth in human form and willingly died on the cross of Calvary for each one of us. That we would be reconciled to God and have forgiveness and be able to do his bidding here on earth and be assured of eternity with God. God loves you. John 3.16 reminds us of that. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 3 verse 1 reminds us of this. See what great love the Father has, and I love this word, lavished on us that we should be called children of God. So God loves you. Second, God is with you and within you. Jesus said, I am with you always until the end of the age. God is always with us, even in the dark and despairing places. And as we've said throughout this series, sometimes we don't feel God is with us. Sometimes we feel God has abandoned us. And even Jesus, we said last Sunday, felt that way as he died on the cross. He felt abandoned. But that did not negate the presence of God. Our feelings do not negate the power and the presence of God. It's okay to feel that way. Just read the Psalms. And, and the lament Psalms are full of those feelings and emotions. But remind, remember that God is always with us and within us. Jesus said it. I am with you always to the end of the age. And then in John 15, as he was preparing for cross the next day, he said, remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Another word is abide in me. He's reminding us that he's not only with us, but he's within us. And then third, please remember that God has plans for you with potential and purpose. Plans, potential, purpose. Every one of them. Jesus, I'm sorry, Jeremiah the prophet wrote the words of God to the people of Israel. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, for Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. In Psalm 1611, the psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And one of my favorite verses is Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is picking up on what Paul says in our passage today, forgetting what is behind and striving forward to what is ahead. The writer of Hebrews it says there's two things, throwing off things that hinder as well as sin that entangles. Stuff that hinders, the literal word there ha- uh, refers to casting off our burdens and giving them to the Lord and trusting him. And now for the church. Some takeaways for us. wonder how we can serve as midwives to those who are alongside us. That we can come and help people know that God desires to birth something wonderful through them. I'm reminded of how the Hebrew midwives were instrumental in the birth of Moses. And we talked about that several weeks ago. And how midwives come alongside and are able to help in a very difficult time, painful time, but for someone to see something as wonderful as a new baby. Midwives must be present in those times, and they are trustworthy. You're inviting someone in to one of the most private times in your life. May we be present and trustworthy when people share with us in their burdens. Midwives ensure that the other is safe, listened to, and heard. When the mother who is expecting is crying out in pain, the midwife doesn't say, oh, no, that's just Braxton Hicks. Don't worry about it. No, they hear the person. Provide a safe place mother is listened to and heard. A midwife also sits alongside and is able to see that which a mother cannot see. If you've ever been in that environment, like when I was born, my dad said they wouldn't let him in the delivery room back then to get me. He was there for my brother, but couldn't see me born. All these years later, in 2004, I was able to be there when Isabella was born, and I was able to see what Melanie couldn't see as Isabella was born. And it's a a gift where we are able to see others' divine potential. When we, as a church, think of ourselves as midwives, we are able to say, you know something, I see in you a a gift, and, and maybe you haven't seen that, and let's talk more about it. And then a midwife is able to celebrate that which is birthed through a person. And so, church, as we come alongside folks who may have a need or a struggle or are wondering what their purpose is in life, we're able to not only help them see their divine potential, but then celebrate when they're living it out. Church, I don't think we celebrate enough. We've talked about that in some of our visioning meetings. And it's good from time to time to celebrate what God is birthing in our church. I hope you'll help us to do that.
as you share your story with us. May we pay attention to the ways God positions us to bring forth what is inside of others. May we come alongside of others that they would stay focused on what is up and ahead. What is God calling you to do to come alongside someone else for that purpose? How can you and I be a midwife to someone here at HRBC or in our family or in our relationships? May we open our eyes that we might see and hear God's call. May our hearts be open and sense the desire to be present in the lives of those who need it the very most, knowing that we don't have all the answers, but we are with them in their questions. To trust that we worship a God who meets us in our struggles and redeems the times so that good comes out of bad and love always wins. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God always redeems our times, our situations, our struggles. God always seeks to bring good out of bad. So we want to be present with others no matter what. When life gives us what? Lemons. What do we do? We're going to make some lemonade, aren't we? Put some sugar and water in there and bring some good and sweet in our lives. One thing I do, he says, Paul, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press onward to win the goal, the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus, our Lord.